All right, guys. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks for coming out to New Life Church today. How many guys are excited to be worshiping Jesus at New Life Church today? Come on. Come on. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about, man. I am. I am. I'm super excited to be here. It's a great day. It's a great day. Today at New Life Church, we've got a couple of incredible things happening that we want to take a moment just to honor and show respect to and also uh, to celebrate one of them especially, which is Royal Family Kids Camp. Uh, this is the week that we send workers out, like missionaries, out on our global outreach trip called um, you know, Royal Family Kids Camp. And so they're going out to minister to kids that are abused, neglected, and abandoned all week long. It's incredible. We've been doing it for a lot of years. I think somewhere around 15 or, or, or more years. We had, um, I don't know how many we had. I mean, Pastor Chris brought them up on the stage here at the end of the first service, and they just filled this whole stage, the amount of workers that are going out there. And today, right now, in the second service happening in North Platte, we've got all of our workers that are going to be going out and serving at our Royal Family Kids Camp. And they're in North Platte today at the second service, getting ready to be commissioned and getting ready to be sent out. So can you guys here from the Carney campus and the North Platte campus, can you just give it up for them right now? Come on. Yeah. Yeah, so we, uh, we welcome you. We have a special commissioning that's going to be happening here at the end of our service for you in North Platte. Pastor Dave is going to be handling that. So thank you guys so much for uh, going on that trip and being a part of uh, Global Outreach uh, that ministers to people around the world. And this time it's ministering to people in our backyard. The other thing, though, is that this is Memorial Day weekend. <clears throat> and as a former vet and uh, having a grandfather that served in World War II and my father served during the Vietnam War, and then I got, a, I got the privilege of serving during Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And my son also has served both in Iraq and in Afghanistan. <clears throat> you know, in our family, we know, what it's, we know what it means to serve our nation. And it's a great heritage that uh, I very much value being passed down to me from generation to generation. But each of those generations has seen lives lost for the freedoms that you and me get a chance to cherish. And so freedom does not come free. And every generation, you know, has experienced that. And there's some of you that are in this room that have served. And I thank you for serving. But today is more about those who gave their life up. <clears throat> and when, when, you, when you go into battle, uh, you have to overcome fear. You have to overcome fear. Fear has to be replaced with something. Very much like our former president, Franklin D. Roosevelt, said when he said these words, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. You don't, you don't want to be next to a soldier that is driven by fear because a soldier driven by fear is going to make erratic decisions that are going to cause everybody to be in harm's way. So soldiers have to come to a point where they can overcome that fear. In this case, like President Roosevelt said, with courage. Uh, it's not that it all goes away, but we replace it. It doesn't become the driving force. And I just want to take a moment um, and just honor those. Honor those who have given their lives who they overcame the fear to go into battle and they gave their life the ultimate sacrifice so that you and me might experience the freedom that we have today. And can we just do that today by just applauding for those? For those? Can we do that today? Come on. They obviously cannot hear our clap. We need to hear the clap. 
We need to be the ones that take a moment in honor to remind ourselves that what we have is not free. And there was a price that was paid for that and that we would continue to carry that lineage even in our, in our own lives, in our own generations. We had passed down the appreciation for freedom. Uh, it's, a, it's the generation that stops appreciating their freedom and where the price came from is the generation that starts to lose it the, the most. And I don't want to be a part of that generation. So fear. Fear. What happens when uh, fear becomes the driving force of your life, though? We just talked about what happens on the battlefield when fear becomes the driving force of your life. It's going to get you in a lot of trouble. It's going to probably, it might cause you to lose your life. Um, it would cause maybe others to lose their life. But what happens in this life here where you live here in Nebraska? What happens when fear is the driving force of your life? What happens? There's a lot of phobias in this world, you know? I mean, I was doing a quick research. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. In fact, basically, you know, I think in today's world, anything can have a phobia attached to it, anything. Uh, so, you know, what are those top ones, though? And I, I was just looking at some of the top 10, and I thought, let's just see how the top 10 fears really impact us here at New Life. So at both campuses and online, if I mention something that is a, a phobia of yours, okay, then what I want you to do is just I want you to say this, ugh, ugh. All right, that kind of like, it shakes up you. You can feel the tingling down your back. It tingles on your arms. Ew. All right, I just want you to practice that with me. Are you ready? One, two, three. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Again, you guys are way better than the first service. The first service, I said this to them. I go, say, ooh, and they were like, they were like, ooh. And I was like, this, it's not like you guys are winning a new car here, all right? We're going to talk about phobias, all right? So the phobia, if I mention your phobia, remember, you do that with me. Just go, all right? That's what I want you to do. Let's start out with the top one, spiders. <laughs> I, I, I have superhuman like, abilities when I see a spider. I actually do. I can jump 10 feet like that. I can scream at a pitch so high that only dogs can hear. Superhuman abilities when I see a spider, all right? <laughs> all right, let's go to the next one, snakes. Man, a lot of you have got a snake phobia. Like I, snakes are okay with me as long as they keep their distance and I have a shotgun. You see what I'm saying? And I don't recommend that same approach when it comes to like spiders. Don't take a shotgun to spiders in your house. That's just gonna leave a lot of holes you gotta patch and you constantly have to keep doing it. So, one more time, snakes. Ugh. Okay, how about this one? How about, um, this, is, this is part of the top 10, dogs. No, I think you're getting the wrong, I think you're getting like the little dog that sits on your lap. We're talking back when you were in elementary school and you walked by the yard and then that, that uh, Doberman or that German Shepherd came out foaming at the mouth like, you are my lunch, dogs. Okay, it's that dog, all right? It's not the little itsy bitsy, you know, dogs that I'm talking about. All right, let's go to another one because obviously you guys are too tough for this. Uh, how about this one? Heights. Ooh, yeah, yeah, heights, yeah. Yeah, people are in the back like waving hands as well. Like, ah, like, here's the thing about heights, right? You give somebody up 
up on a ladder or something like that and then they look down and they finally realize how high they are off the ground, right? And then what do they do? Grab on with the death grip. And you're, you're like, it doesn't make any sense. Like you can't stay there, you have to come down, but the fear won't let you let go. And then you tell them, you're only five feet off the ground, <laughs> you know? <clears throat> you're only five feet off the ground. All right, so, so we got heights. How about this, small spaces. Oh, yeah. Small spaces. Some of you guys are like, this is too small, right? Someone's sitting too close to me. Like I purposely sat with four seats on each side of me, and then you're looking over and you're like, why are you two seats away from me? <laughs> right? And if you could, you would say to them, stop breathing. You're eating up my oxygen, right? So small, small spaces. How about this one? Another one of the top 10, thunderstorms. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> All right, everybody, everybody except for one person is all indoor plat that's afraid of thunderstorms. I mean, the only thing about thunderstorms you need to be afraid of, I mean, for the most part, for the most part, a thunderstorm, I'm not talking about a tornado. A thunderstorm is you just got to make sure you got your insurance paid up. That's the only thing, right, is it paid up. Because if the hail comes, I want to be okay. Um, how about a couple more? Uh, let's tackle this one. Germs. <laughs> all right. Okay, good, good. One person in the front row. Later on, we're going to pray for you. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. And by the way, most of them that I've mentioned, you, you have gone ooh too. So I thought, that's interesting too. That, that we're, we're going to pray for you. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. How about this last one? Flight, flying. <laughs> See, that's what I, yeah. I'm not talking about you flying off a cliff. I'm talking about you in an airplane that are designed to fly. You get, you get what I'm saying? So we have all these phobias right? These phobias are typically not driving forces in your life. Just because I like, over spiders doesn't mean I don't come to work. Doesn't mean that, you know, I, it affects me being a, a husband. Although sometimes Kim has to kill the spider. Okay. All right. <laughs> but that's letting her serve, guys. That's letting her serve. <laughs> Giving her an opportunity. Like, you want to minister to me? Here's a great opportunity. Okay. You know, if it's, if it's I, I can muster it up. I, okay, forget that. Okay, I'm going to get off that. I've killed my fair share of spiders from a distance. All right. Those are typically not the driving force fears that control every aspect of your life. There would be what I would just refer to as situational fear. Fear of in the moment. You know, like you didn't even know you were scared of heights. You climbed up the ladder and now you're like, wow, this is really getting me. Like I got this weird feeling in my stomach, right? Or any of these other moments, it's just kind of situational. Driving force fears affect every aspect of your life. They affect the way you think. They affect the way you live. They affect the way you love. They affect the way that you lead. Okay, they affect everything in life. Let me give you some examples of some driving force fears that might be at work in your life today. How about this one, the fear of failure? See, the fear of failure is a driving force fear because it will keep you from taking the risks necessary to keep moving forward in life. It will cause you to start thinking that you're not good enough. It will cause you to start underselling, undercutting yourself, tearing your own self down like I'm not smart enough. It will cause you to grab a hold on to what you have with a death grip and not be able to let go of it so that you can keep moving forward and accomplish what God has for your life because it's a fear of failing. You see yourself failing before you ever see yourself succeeding. You see your, the worst in yourself before you ever see the best in yourself, the fear of failure. 
But there's more. Here we're gonna give you another one. The fear, the fear about the unknown future. The unknown future. So all of a sudden your, your boss or your manager comes walking into your office and says, hey look, uh, I need to give you another assignment. This assignment is something you've never done before. And when they leave, they ask you, are you okay with that? And you go, yes, you are. Yes, I am. And then they leave, and then there you are with sweaty palms. You know, and fear is starting to stir up in your heart because it's something you've never done before, and it's a fear of the unknown. Similar things happen in, like, you got a meeting that's coming up, and you don't know what the meeting's about. You've just been told, hey, meet me at 3 o'clock, and it's from your boss or someone you, re you report to. They don't tell you what it's about, but they just tell you, meet me at 3 and then everything starts racing through your mind. If, if fear starts racing through your mind, then the fear about the unknown future could be a controlling force in your life. I've had those experiences many times. I know what that feels like. To so go, I wonder, I wonder what, what they actually think about me. I wonder what's gonna happen in that meeting. I, I have to go into conflict meetings wondering how it's gonna be resolved. And sometimes anxiety and fear start welling up inside of my heart and I have to do some proactive things before God to bring that back down because I'm not strong enough to, to bring that back down. Only God can do that. So I run, I run to him and I pray and, and it's like the Holy Spirit just kinda like starts to take that fear, starts to push it back down. So that this false reality, because here's what happens about an unknown future, you start dreaming the worst is going to happen. And you assume the worst is going to happen before you ever can believe by faith that the best can happen. This unknown future will also keep you as parents from even letting your kids go to camp. Keep them from going on a trip. Because you don't know if they're going to be safe or what's going to happen. Safe people they're going to be with. It's going to be a perfect environment. Thousands and thousands of kids have gone off and come back. Sure, accidents are going to happen, but that fear of that unknown future will lock you up and keep you from being able to make those kinds of decisions. How about the fear of commitment? And it goes both ways, by the way. The fear of making commitment to others because you just don't know. You know, can I, am I going to follow it out? Am I not going to follow it out? And so you're bouncing around from one church to the next church, from one relationship to the next relationship, from one job to the next job. But it's also the fear of people making a commitment to you because of being hurt, maybe being abused, walking through pain, people letting you down. Let me give you one more example of driving force fears in our life, the fear of change. Just the, just the sheer fear of change. Some people, they, they fear any change. It doesn't matter what the change is. It doesn't matter where it's coming from, what it's about. It's just change. It's, it's different than what I live in. I've got my nice little bubble. I like my nice little bubble, and I fear any other change other than that. Driving force fears, they can be, they're caused by a number of things. First off, you can, you can see them being caused by traumatic experiences. Think about it as an example. Like, you know, parents, they lose a child early on in life. That's going to create the, the bedrock for fear to be stirred up in their life. You know, or something else traumatic happens. Um, you know, something violent takes place, you know, um, you know, in your midst. 
you're walking down the street and someone violently robs you, uh, that's gonna, that has an opportunity to create some fear. Or, you know, all of a sudden you find yourself bankrupt, you know, when the security of finances was all there, but you, you lost your job and then one thing happened after another thing and then here you are. And so there's a lot of traumatic experiences that can start to, you know, become the bedrock of where fears start controlling our lives. Unrealistic expectations is another one, though. Unrealistic expectations that have been set on you by others and you, the ones you set on yourself. And they become things that you can't get to, you can't achieve, you, you can't get over, you can't jump over them. And they start creating fear inside of our lives as well as growing up in controlling homes. Growing up in a controlling home is another bedrock moment for certain driving force fears to be, to be churned up in our life. So basically, here's what I'm trying to say. All of us have been in or will be in some moment of our life where a driving force fear wants to take root in your life. And we have to know what it's going to take to combat that. We have to know what it's going to take to overcome it. Because the worst driving force fear known to man is nothing that we've talked about so far. The worst one known to man is this, is the fear that I'm not good enough for God's love. I'm not good enough for God's love. It's a fear that I'll never measure up completely to God's expectation in my life. Even if that's 5%. But for many people, it's much more than 5%. We live in this uncertainty. Can I ever be good enough to please God? Can I ever live a life that is holy enough for God to say I'm pleased with you? What will happen the day I stand before God and have to give an account for my life? What's going to happen? See, you, you wanna know where you stand? Ask that question to yourself right now. Are you ready to meet God right now? I'm talking right now, this very second. Or would you say there's some real worry, there's some real fear, there's some real concern there of what's going to happen when that moment takes place? Fear. But here's what the Bible says. Take a look at what 2 Timothy says. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So obviously God is not the source of fear. God's not the one who, who gives fear. God's a God of hope, guys. God's, God's one of purpose and passion and love. God is, God's one of freedom. God gives freedom, not fear. God gives love and self-discipline, not timidity and fear. That's who God is. God's the one who speaks and life happens. God's the one who breathes his breath and, you know, man comes awake again. God's not one of fear. But the longer you are in this journey of Christianity, then you're, you have to run into scriptures that start to maybe confuse us a little bit. Because there's a number of scriptures, a number of them, that say that we are to have a fear of the Lord. So then you wonder to yourself, like, a fear? I'm supposed to have a fear of the Lord, but God doesn't give fear? So how does that all go together? Well, to help you reconcile that today, I want to take you to really one scripture. And in this one scripture, it really defines what it means to have a healthy fear of the Lord that's not a fear that causes you to not measure up to the Lord. There's a big difference there. Take a look with me in this, this passage in Psalms 33. We'll read it, and then let me explain it to you. Let all the earth fear the Lord. 
Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Now, this is really the way it's written. Let me explain. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Pause. Writer turns to the audience and says these words. Let me explain what I mean by that. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Let me tell you what the fear of the Lord is. It means to stand in awe of him. That's, the, that's what's happening in this passage. It's a statement that then comes back and says, let me define it for you. The fear of the Lord is, is legitimate, but it's to stand in awe of him, most powerful creator of all things, the one who speaks and the earth comes to its existence and the universe you know, goes into its form and the suns of the universe, they light up and they, we call them stars today. I mean, he's all powerful. He is definitely all powerful. And that, that awe of God has to be the origin of our relationship with him. If, if it's not the origin of our relationship with God, then we miss the mark as we keep growing with God. Too many believers, even here today, listening to me in North Platte and online, we started our relationship with God not on the fear of the Lord, the awe of God. We started it on the grace and the love of God. And we've never come back to grapple with what it really means to be in awe of him. To know that, yes, one day we will stand before him in judgment, but we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. It all has to start with an awe of God, and then it goes someplace from there. How do I know that? Proverbs tells us this. It says that the fear of the Lord is the what? It's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the starting of something. It's the origin of something. It's the beginning of a life-transforming relationship with God. The awe of God. That one day, a perfect being called God will one day judge you and me. And he'll define, he'll define our lives. So in that light, then, how do I come before him to understand who he is because the fear of the Lord is just the beginning. So what's the rest of the story? The rest of the story is now discovering the amazing grace of God called love. But all too often, too many people live under an unhealthy fear that I'm not gonna ever measure up and that I'm not good enough for God's love. And therefore, we look towards a judgment day with fear, which is not what God's called us to do, by the way. And this driving force of fear keeps us at a distance from him it, it, it radically affects our pursuit of him because we see God as this punisher. The punisher on this earth that the difficulties and the strife and the struggles that I go through are the punishment of my sins on this earth. And we extrapolate that into heaven and we go, look, even if I make it to heaven, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a time of me trying to repay back God for all the imperfections of my life. And that type of fear will leave you hopeless Believing for nothing. In fact, there's some of you that might be here today. You walked back through the doors of a church today. And you said, God, if you don't speak to my life today, I'm never walking back through the doors again. I want you to know, I think God's getting ready to speak to you right now. So if you're listening and you're here or you're in North Platte, and you've been feeling hopeless, like you don't measure up to God, and you've also maybe you've even come to the place where you've said, how can God... And how would God ever accept me into his heaven? If you've ever been asking that question, God brought you here today for this purpose.
to have that answered for you. Because that fear, that driving force fear, has the ability to be broken today. And for it to be broken, I gotta take you to 1 John chapter 4. Look with me at 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. It says this And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face Him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Just look with me really quick. What happens to your life-giving faith when fear is your driving force? This is what happens. You don't fully experience God's perfect love for your life. If you're not experiencing God's perfect love for your life, it's affecting the way that you worship. It's affecting the way that you live every day. Let me give you some very practical behavioral examples, the evidence that God's fully perfect love is not being impacted in your life to its, to its intensity that it needs to be. Here, here would be some of the evidence of that, that you know, it keeps you a distance from God instead of pursuing the closeness with God. You see others that have this intimacy with God and you wonder to yourself, why is it that I have a distance from God? It's because there's something that's disengaging you from fully experiencing the perfect love of God that actually expels all fear. Fear has come in and it's kept you from really saying, I can embrace a God who loves me and that's going to you know, see the best in me. You see the worst in yourself and you say, how could a God like that love me? And so you keep a distance. You struggle to hear his voice. You struggle to hear his voice. Here's another piece of evidence. You, you wrestle with God's motives towards you. Sometimes when life's going good, you think God's for you, and then when life's not going good, you assume that God's against you. That would be a, the evidence of fear, fear-driven life. It's gonna hinder your ability and desire to read his, his word. The Bible's going to stay dusty on the nightstand because there's something about it that you, you just don't see yourself getting into it and hearing from God because when you read it, you don't feel like he's speaking to you because you have a fear, a fear that you'll never measure, you'll never measure up to what God has for your life. And it even causes you to miss opportunities to take steps of faith for God. There's been opportunities for you to step out and do some things, but you, you don't take those because you're not sure that if you step out, God's going to be there to help you really follow it through. Guys, look, to break the fear that I'm not good enough for God's love, it's gonna require us to understand something out of 1 John chapter four. It's gonna, it requires us to understand what perfect love really is. I want you to go back to this passage. The first perfect love that we see here, because there's two of them, right? The first one is this. Our love grows more perfect. So the first love is what we're giving to God. And I want you to notice something about it. It's not perfect, perfect. It grows more perfect. We're constantly becoming more and more perfect in our love towards him. Not out of works, but out of surrender and submission to God and his word. The second love, though, is this one. God's perfect love. So there's two loves that you see at work here. I want you to notice, God's love is not, it's not growing to become perfect, it's that it already is perfect. You see that? Okay, our love has some growing to do. God's love is perfect. So, in light of that, let's go back to the middle of the verse. Perfect love expels all fear. What 
in which perfect love expels all fear. Are you, are you positive? And I'm going to suggest that you're, you're not completely accurate. You'd say God's perfect love, but in this passage here, perfect love expels all fear comes right between these two perfect loves. Why is it that the author even takes time to make sure that our love is defined as perfect love and that God's love is defined as perfect love? There is a combination of these two being woven together that now creates a perfect love that begins to expel all fear. I want to help you understand what I mean by that. So I need, uh, I need a volunteer, and I think we already chose a volunteer, and it's Pastor Javen. So Pastor Javen, come on up here. I need some help. Come on up. All right. Look, here's what we're going to do. I, I've got, come on, step into the shot over here. Okay, there you go. Perfect. Here's, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're talking about two loves come together to expel all fear. All right? So here's, here's what we've did. We've done, we've got a very, very concentrated concoction here of, of lemonade, okay? I mean, I think this is so strong, it could probably make somewhere around 40 gallons. So it's like, it's very potent. Anybody want to drink? Okay, so if this, this, let's let this represent God's love because it's powerful, it's perfect, and um, you know, it's just kind of, it's what we need in our life. So what I want you to do is I want you to just experience just, I, I want you to see experience his perfect love all by itself, okay? Just go ahead and do that, just for a moment. Please, please, drink the whole thing if you would. I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> okay, stay here. Stay here. <laughs> normally, normally at church when we talk about God's perfect love, we don't get this kind of facial expression. But we're strategically talking about this in, in light of, are you going to be okay? I think so. That's why I'm hanging on to you. Um, we're strategically talking about this in light of one thing, expelling fear. Okay, we're just coming, we're trying to make this verse come alive. So that's God's because it's powerful and it's potent. Right on? Very powerful. Very powerful, he says. Okay. Uh, very powerful. Okay. So now water is, is really this kind of us, and I'm sure that you would like to have some of this, right? Yeah. Water is just us, I mean, by ourself, right? By ourself, it's, it's like, go ahead and drink it. It's, it's, that, that, that doesn't taste like lemonade at all, right? Other than, other than what was already in your mouth, stuck to your teeth, right? And your tongue, right? And trying not to swallow. Okay, so, so one is off the charts powerful. The other one is diluted and weak, and it tastes nothing like lemonade. Right. But what happens is this, like you put just the right amount, put just the right amount, and then you do just the right amount, right? You see what I'm saying? And, well, maybe just a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's going to be okay. I'm, the, I'm not like a drink master or anything like that. Just take it one drink. You don't have to drink the whole thing. That's good. That's a lot better? That's a lot better. That's a lot better. Okay, so Javen, here, here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. We have God's perfect love, which was already perfect. I mean, there's nothing else God can do to make his love more perfect. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. He rose again from the grave. He ascended to heaven. He paid the price for death, hell, the grave, and all of our sins. And that's perfect, right? But, now, but when you blend now our love, which is growing perfect, 
into that, which we have now to define. What does it mean to have our love growing perfect, right? What does that really look like? When you, when you combine those two together, you come up with something that's very flavorful, that is satisfying, that you know, brings refreshment to you. Like if it was super, super cold and it was super, super hot, you would go like, I wanna drink that whole thing because it's that kind of good, right? All right, that's what we're talking about with the scripture. Go ahead and have a seat. So what we have to do here at the end then is we have to define, okay, God's love is already perfect, then what do we have to do? Well, how do we keep growing in a perfect love that matches with God that then can guys work in a powerful nuclear fashion in our lives to expel fear out of our lives? What does that actually look like? Let's go back to 1 John chapter 4. That's our key scripture today. Verse 17, right at the very beginning, it said this, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Notice what it said. What do you have to do for our love to grow more perfect? Live in God. What does it mean to live in God then? See, that's, that should be like the next question you're asking yourself. What does it mean to live in God? Well, to get the answer for that, you gotta back up one verse to verse 16. It says, God is love and all who, watch this, live in love, live in God. And God lives in them. So you wanna live in God? Then you gotta live in love. So basically, here's how it breaks down. Watch this equation. Living in love equals living in God, which equals perfect love. If you're a math teacher, that makes no sense. <laughs> but if you're a spiritual seeker of God, it makes all perfect sense. Living in love equals living in God, which brings perfect love. That melding together with what God already brings to our life, it starts to expel fear out of your life causes you to start looking at the judgment day and go, man, I'm looking forward to that day. Causes me to start living the life that God's called me to start living. So what would it really look like to be living in love? 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what love is. Love's patient, it's kind. Love's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up never loses faith, it always, it's always hopeful and, and endures through every circumstance. That's what love is. You wanna learn what it means to live in love? Here's the assignment this week. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look through verses four and seven and pray and ask the Holy Spirit, show me where I need to be living in love more. Living in love then starts equaling living in God. What would it look like to live in God? It would look like this, to have the Holy Spirit alive inside of your life. We know that the Bible teaches us that when the Holy Spirit's alive inside of your life, it produces something. So living in God also has something tangible to grab onto, Galatians chapter five. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is what it looks like to be living in God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You would want to go back to all week long, go back to Genesis chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and start asking the Lord, what areas of my life need to line up better with your word so that I can be living in God? Now I'm working on living in love. I'm working on living in God based on what the Holy Spirit's saying to me. Perfect love is being developed. It's matching with God's perfect love, and it starts to expel fear. The fear that says, I'm not worthy of God's love. The one fear that has the ability to keep you in eternity away from God. It starts to expel that fear. Listen, I know that it doesn't take care of spiders. <laughs> I've tried it. 
Okay? Some of those phobias, they just linger on, right? And we'll have fun with those. But that one that says, I don't think I'm good enough for God, this antidote starts to erode that. But there is one more thing that the writer of 1 John tells us, and that's this. He says, look, you want a second thing to start working on? To, to well up perfect love that expels all fear? He says, live like Jesus here in this world. Wow. Live like Jesus here in this world. Remember the, remember the bracelets and the shirts with the WWJD stuff? That kind of got cliche-ish. It never gets old, though. It's the kind of question we need to start asking ourselves more often than not. If we want to have a perfect love that expels fear, we have to start living in this world like Jesus did. And it's possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. There was a criminal back many, many, many years ago who was found guilty of his crime and he was brought before the king and the king was now to pronounce judgment on him, what's gonna happen with his life. And as the criminal stands before the king, to his surprise, the king asks him a question. And he says, sir, which one would you rather have for your crime? The noose? Or would you like what's behind this ironclad, black-painted, scary-looking door? Which one would you rather have for your crime? And the criminal speaks up quickly and he goes, I'll take the noose. So off to the gallows they go and he gets all set up and he's got the rope around his neck and the criminal basically looks at the king and he goes, hey, look, just out of curiosity, what, what, what was behind that, that dark, scary door? And the king kind of, kind of laughed for a moment and he goes, yeah, it's interesting. I, I offer those two options to every criminal that comes before me and it's amazing how so quickly the criminal picks the noose. And he goes, he goes, well, sir, I mean, look at the rope around my neck. Like, I would never tell anybody your secret. What's behind the black, dark, scary door? I, I would never tell. Like, I'm not getting out of this moment. I got this noose around my neck, right? I'm going to die here. And the king looks at him and makes eye contact with the criminal. And he goes, sir, the, the thing behind the dark, black, scary door was freedom. But it seems that most people are too afraid of the unknown, and they immediately take the rope. See, today, you got a choice. You can hang on to your fears because you know what they feel like and you know the limitations of them, or you can let go of those, and you can walk through a door that seems a little scary, seems a little intimidating, seems a bit daunting to live love and to live God to strive for a perfect love that will, in the end, expel all fear. But it's really your option today. Which one will you choose today? Are you going to choose the rope with the fears? Or are you going to choose the freedom that the king, King Jesus, by the way, has already paid the perfect price for, and he's already offering perfect love? It's your choice today. Why don't you stand with me, and let's pray. Lord, today we, we come before you humbly, and we recognize that because of the price that you paid for our life, perfect love has been extended to us. But it's our move now. It's like there's nothing else you really can do, God. You've extended it. You put your hand out. You said, here it is. Do you want it? And Lord, now it's our turn. It's our turn. Will we choose to live love and to live God and to strive for a, a perfect love that keeps growing, that 
in the end, it expels fear. It pushes the enemy's lies away from our life so that we can live the life of the believer that you've called us to, an overcomer in this world. And I pray for this congregation of people. I pray for them no matter where they are, no matter what time they're listening to this message. I just pray that the Holy Spirit would meet them right where they are and you would stir their heart with faith and you would help us to choose the freedom that the king offers versus the rope that we've been comfortable living with called fear. Let us give up our fears so that you, Jesus, can reign and rule in our lives in a greater level of freedom than we've ever experienced before, that we could not just live love and live God, but we could show love and we could show God through the actions of our lives to others. In Jesus' name, amen.